Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode 54 of Strangers in the Cinema. I'm your co host, Paul Anderson, here with your other co host, Pete Wall, and producer, Jack Mills. Hello, gentlemen, how are we? Uh, I'm all right, gentlemen. How are you doing? (laughs) Gentleman, yeah, I'm good, actually. Uh, Still pretty tired. Actually, from last week, I've probably woken up a little bit this time. The podcast, the podcast, seven days ago tired yeah. you out that much. Yeah, it did. eight days ago. In fact. Eight days ago, <laughs> I am really knackered. No. Yeah, two words, Jack Mills: lifestyle decisions. Yes, uh, absolutely. I feel like uh, regular. Well, actually, I can't really talk. I'm pretty tired myself, and I got back pain. Well, I've oh, hurt so, my foot. Uh, <laughs> I can, I'm literally hobbling around the flat. Yeah, I just, well, my I, day after day, I haven't been out, and I've hurt my I banged my head on a coffee table the other night. So it's all gone well leading up to this episode. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like an episode of Mallet's Mallet or something, or just the Chuckle <laughs> Brothers, basically. But anyway, so I'm glad we're all well. Um, Pete, give us a rundown of what we're going to hear on the show today. Well, sir, on this episode of the show, as normal, we have sections to the way that we look at reviewing films. We start off in the foyer. That's the area of the show where we're going to talk about an issue that's affecting us and the film world in general at this time. Um, after that, we move into popcorn movies, where Paul and I throw around our reviews from the last seven days' worth of film reviewing. This week, we're actually going to collaborate on one of those because there's a film uh, you'll know when we get to it that is definitely worth your time and consideration and certainly ours uh, then Jack's going to review the film that he was set for homework this week that was uh, Olivier Assayas film Personal Shopper which we both raved about when we did the countdown yes. of the, the best films of the year so far like two episodes ago two weeks ago from there we're going to jump into the feature review section where this week we've got two feature reviews yes we've got Atomic Blonde uh, David Leach's uh, follow up to John Wick starring Charlie's Theron and A Ghost Story uh, David Lowry's it's a very David themed episode this week that's a terrible pun I'll carry on anyway and A Ghost Story David Lowry's um, almost undescribable film starring Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara so that's the two features this week yeah that'll about do it for this week's show um, but yeah looking forward to getting into it and I think the films that we've got this time round are very interesting yes not that they aren't usually but particularly so I think this week and there's one in particular that I cannot wait to get into so um, without wasting any more time uh, let's get to In the Foyer yes and we are indeed In the Foyer um, now this is the news this week. I like me. how, by the way, I like Paul how we're just in the foyer because we just say we are now, now in, in the, the foyer. foyer yeah. It's like the least Sorry dramatic that, yeah. into anything. And then I, I did the hands thing again, which obviously we, we I need, like, need to be aware of that doesn't come across what, on a podcast. What's the well. ambient, Jack? You're a producer. What's the ambient sound made by a foyer? If we can encapsulate the sound of a foyer, then we'll play that in, and it'll be oh, it'll be beautiful. If it's the it city world foyer, it's just terrible pop music. Terrible, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. bit of pop. Maybe some like swishing doors or something like that. Can we get that sound effect, Jack? Potentially, I will. I will try for next week. Yeah, well, thank Moving you, Jack. I appreciate it. Cool. So now, by through, like via the medium of saying that we're in the foyer, <laughs> yes. we are in the foyer. Go, Paul. What have yes. we got? Uh, this is the news um, this week that Love Film, uh, Amazon's well, I say Amazon streaming service. This is part of the problem, isn't it? Amazon's DVD and Blu-ray rental service um, is to close its doors forever on October the thirty-first. Um, and just how much of a shame this is, really, because I think we've we both subscribed to it. Mm. I've just I used to subscribe to it many years ago, uh, in the hope that it would stop me buying as many physical discs. It didn't, so I stopped. Uh, I've subscribed again in the hope that it'll stop me buying physical discs, and now they're stopping it completely. Um, so yeah, just, I mean, yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, we should explain that the point here. It might seem a bit weird that in the year 2017 we're decrying the loss of a postage service for renting discs which are you know increasingly I guess antiquated in a lot of people's eyes uh, Jack I no mean, wrong, but... ma- maybe I don't know if you fall into this camp but like would you even consider taking a rental service that requires you to get physical discs through the mail Does it, is that something that's ever well I used to use Love Film but uh, it's a few years not ago. something that's kind of appealed in, in when you were times. eight when I was <laughs> when I was eight yeah not that long ago uh, maybe I don't know um, no I think I used to use it a lot uh, and sort of Shared it with my mother, who used it more than I did, hmm. I would say. But I think 
I used to be more into buying physical stuff, but now I think with all the streaming services, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can. <laughs> I agree with that. I agree but, with I mean, that boo comment. But but Jack's comment is exactly the the opinion, I suppose, of the the powers that be at Amazon, right? It's the way so the market's going. In the, fairness, the, the, the real thing that attracted me, and I think you too, Paul, is that a sort of breadth and depth of the library available to this service. Because uh, yeah, Jack mentioned streaming services, and of course, the big players at this point are Amazon Prime um, Video and Netflix. Both of those. I think increasingly in the UK really good services however if you're looking for things that are a bit more obscure off the beaten track older maybe international it's often the suckling for example Pete. right it's often that you're you're very much at the the under the control of whoever it is who's curating at that time what's going to go in that particular subsection. I mean, Netflix doesn't even have a classic film section anymore, for example. Uh, they're peppered into other sections, but there's no... Well, the, the issue is, right? the issue is, I think, is the bigger issue is licensing. So, you know, Netflix, you know, when you could... You, there were ways to see all of Netflix's sort of worldwide catalogue, and it was fantastic, but they're locked down on regional licensing. So to kind of get as many of the films as you can, you need to be subscribing to, say, Sky Movies, Netflix... Amazon Prime, possibly even Rakuten as well. And, or Curzon. And then, and then and you've like got Curzon, BFI yeah. player. You could end up spending £40, £50 a month quite easily, easily on yeah. subscription services. And still then you wouldn't get the range that physical media offers you. This is my problem with losing this service. I think it's a shame. And it is like, it's, it's obscure world cinema. It's things like, I know we joke about some of the films that I watch. It's things like The House Collection or some of the Arrow releases or just, you know, pieces or deep red or female prisoner scorpion or that for me it's that kind of thing yeah sure and, um, and, and i mean you, just it's some, probably some more classic world cinema that's harder to get absolutely and i mean just a, an example that came to mind when you told me about this news um, earlier today was i think it was on last week's show when i when i did the review of uh, etra et avoir the documentary about the schoolroom, which really like got to me it hit me really hard i went straight to love film by post afterwards and put added to my list i think the six previous documentaries made by that documentary filmmaker yeah. they are not going to be available on any of the big streaming services they're right. just not and, also, and i understand that's a niche interest but that's yeah. that's what it was good but for, if you were right? to buy those that would probably be at least a tenner a disc as well i'd say easily because yeah they're fairly obscure so the obscure stuff seems to hold its so, price so i think it's a, i think it's a crying shame to be honest so let's talk like light at the end of the tunnel is there any hope here first of all my hope, maybe it's completely in vain, but yes, is that services is. like Amazon <laughs> are going to fold some of the content that was previously only available on disk to that service into their streaming service. Now, as far as I'm concerned, if they raised, like, if they had like a premium tier, like an extra, I guess it's Amazon Prime already, where do you go from that? But if they had a next level up that was more money and got me that access, I would pay but that. It's not money. even that. I wouldn't, I'd, I'd say you're being very hopeful there because there is, see, Amazon do do paid for rentals as yeah, well, which do. quite a lot of the time, in fairness to Amazon, are quite reasonably priced. But even then, the films aren't there. Like mm. even then, the range isn't there. Even if you have to pay for them, it's, I think it's because with the with the physical disc rentals and the one, the other thing I will say with physical disc is the quality on physical disc. I think with the exception, as I mentioned at the time of the review of Okja, uh, which is Netflix have thrown everything into that and it looked amazing. The quality on physical disc is, for my for my opinion, always going to be better than streaming. Mm. Um, so that's a bit of a shame there as well. And if you you know if you've got decent setup at home, you want to put the best possible picture into it. Well, and, and certainly four K discs sure are better than four K. And what's streaming. more, Paul, I mean, you know, it, Touchwood doesn't really happen too commonly, at least at my house. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but. If your internet drops out and you're streaming through well, Netflix, yeah. you're, you're done. Yeah. If you've got the disc, then you don't have that problem. Yeah. I mean, yeah, to be a little bit hopeful, I did just before this episode have a little scan around online which services do still offer like a post uh, delivery service for Blu-rays and DVDs and have like a large collection. I found one, it struck me, I don't know if this is the, the leader of the pack, but something called cinemaparadiso.co.uk seems to have like a really broad spectrum of films and costs just £2 a month more than the Amazon so, post service. If anyone's used Cinema Paradiso, let us know. Yeah, we'd drop love us to a hear line about on, that. Um, at Stranger Cinema on Twitter. Um, drop us a line. If anyone does use it, let us know what it's like. Um, if not, we'll probably let you know what it's like. Um, because I, I just it, I think there's still a place for this, and I think it's sad. And I, I think there is still a place for something that has a much better range of films, or they just need to have more films online yeah and, and from this point on Paul if this situation isn't rectified in, in some way my lending library is just going to be your house <laughs> because <laughs> we're doing the podcast as we always do looking at Paul's absolute mountainous uh, shelves that, worth say, of, of discs I've got, I've got £80 worth of credit in CEX now to spend because I actually slimmed it down because I'd nearly filled those three shelves up so uh, 
Yeah, that's actually a slimmed down collection. It would still take me a while to get through the the bits and pieces that I haven't seen here. And me, there's quite a lot I haven't watched at all, uh, which is supposed to be on the left-hand side. Listeners can't see this. I'll put a picture up on Instagram uh, after the show. You can see what I haven't seen. When, uh, you know, US-North Korean relations fall to absolute rock bottom further than they are already, and we're all holed up under the ground, you know, waiting for the end of the sort of wave of apocalyptic bombings, then we'll have some films to watch because I think the delivery man's not going to be delivering at that point no, anyway. So. No, I think Love Film, Good Folding will be the least of our concerns if that happens. But uh, So that's it for In the Foyer today. Uh, we'll be back after this with our popcorn movies. Pete, you can go first this week. What have you got for your popcorn movie? Right, well, yeah, for my first popcorn movie today, I'm going to be reviewing uh, Tyrone with Love from director Woody Allen. You might know him. Uh, This is a film that was released in 2012 on the regular annual release cycle of Woody Allen films. Now, I sort of smirk going into this one because I have to confess, as anyone who listens to this show knows, that I've been a, a... pretty adamant defender of later period Woody Allen Uh, I think it's very easy to sort of write off a whole period in someone's career particularly someone as talented as Woody Allen I don't think that's entirely fair however To Roam With Love is is a blancmange of a film that is the most the very slightest of those kind of slight Woody Allen films that he's made like I don't know um, Scoop comes to mind for it for example with uh, Scarlett Johansson but um like Scoop, Woody Allen is in front of the camera as well as behind the camera on this one. His first time uh, performing since that film, which was, I think, 11 years ago now. Ah, this is one of... Hmm, I guess, I think people are calling it a postcard film because it's set in a particular, you know, fairly beautiful European city. So you get a lot of... Uh, a fair number of fairly beautiful shots at the centre of Rome. What we have is three not really connected stories um one of them is the actor um uh, uh roberto benini sorry slipped my mind for a second roberto benini is an average schlubby joe uh, italian guy who is suddenly thrust into the limelight because um paparazzi want to take his pictures he doesn't understand why people are paying him attention beautiful women throwing themselves at him he's an aging balding you know physically quite frail man it's a funny idea as a short, perhaps, it's a funny right. idea, but it, they go back to it and back to it and back to it and it really runs out of steam about halfway through the film, let alone at the end. I like Roberto Benigni, but yeah, that's one. Then we've got um, Penelope Cruz wearing a just st- stunning uh, little kind of cocktail dress, turning up as a sex worker who stumbles into the apartment of a guy whose girlfriend has gone off to uh, get her hair done and some comedy of manners kind of ensues where there's mistaken identity everybody thinks that the Penelope Cruz character is this guy's actual uh, girlfriend slash fiance uh, wife I forget um, and so yeah that one's played out to within an inch of its life Penelope Cruz is, is fine but it, again there's not enough there and then we've got like this other I guess central story where Jesse Eisenberg plays an architecture student who's dating Greta Gerwig all right, I'm in so yeah, far. No, it seems okay. Yeah, uh, it seems okay Gre- to me. Greta Gerwig's character um, tells him that her friend is coming to visit, but the friend has just broken up with her boyfriend. Is very sexual, and usually men fall under the spell of this woman. Now, when you hear that description, you know that Penelope, Penelope Cruz is in the film. You think, well, that's who that is. Yeah. No. Who do you think is the American actress who plays the sexual seductress who's going to come onto the scene? Mm, I'm just trying to think who. We're talking age range of like Greta Gerwig, Jesse Eisenberg. Who who in that ballpark could it be? Melissa McCarthy. (laughs) Okay, Woody Allen and Melissa McCarthy, as far as I know, haven't got in touch with each other yet. Yeah, it's not Melissa McCarthy. It's Ellen Page, and it's one of the most. It's a sort of bizarrest bit of casting I've seen in a long time. Like Ellen Page is a lot of things, but the character as it it must have existed on the pages is not one of them. And what ensues is a lot of like very irritating underwritten sort of third-rate Woody Allen writing delivered in sort of stilted dialogue by those two actors struggling to kind of make sense of of this strand of the plot, I think. I thought Jesse Eisenberg would be like the new generational sort of mouthpiece for Woody Allen dialogue, Mm. right? Like, that makes sense. He seems to be a good fit for Woody Allen. The way that he worked with Aaron Sorkin's dialogue in in the social network, for example, but it couldn't be further from the truth. Like, 
maybe there's another collaboration that that is going to prove that I'm wrong but on this evidence he's a self-serious actor who I don't think adapts well to the material so overall yeah we've got these like three strands they never really come together the film is far too long it's very very trying on, on your patience and apart from like some of the scenery and the occasional laugh there's very little to recommend it like the weakest later okay. period Woody Allen I've seen it but that's To Roam With Love from 2012 Right, what have I got this week, Pete? You know already. You should be excited for this one because we've talked well, about I, this. I remember you eliminating from two or three <laughs> possibilities down to this one, and it's such a poor <laughs> choice that I'm just going to let you introduce it yourself. Okay, so I have Enter the Ninja from 1981. Um, you may remember me, listeners, uh, referencing this film last week um, when I talked about the documentary Electric Boogaloo. Um, this is one of the earlier films from uh, Canon Films and directed by uh, Israeli man Menahem, Menahem Golan uh, of Golden Globus fame. Um, so yes, it stars Franco Nero. Um, just just watch the trailer to give you an indication of, of what we're getting at here. Um, it firmly sits in the so bad it's good camp or maybe so bad it's fun because it, it certainly is not good. Uh, it's a seriously flawed, um, but it is so much fun. Um Pete, I think even you would, would find this amusing. Uh, even me, even and I you, hate yeah. ninjas. Yeah, yeah. Who, I mean, who <laughs> hates ninjas? That's the thing. So there's there's lots of ninjas in it. Uh, the dialogue and performances are d- d- genuinely laughably poor. Like, so, so bad, it's funny. Uh, it's, and I would say there's one guy in particular, the kind of the chief henchman, uh, who delivers... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to say it. The worst performance I've yet seen in a film. Uh, just full stop it's it's unbelievably poor unbelievably poor if this is intentional this is the thing with films like this if if this film is intentionally bad intentionally funny even then this film's genius Mm. I don't think it is because it, like, Dark, Garth Mungie's Dark Place comes to mind here. This is the this is the kind of stuff that Dark Place spoofed so well. Like it, it's badly dubbed. There's so many like sly winks to the camera. The acting's terrible. Um, the concept's just ridiculous. I mean, just 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 to sort of get the plot going. Um, a, an American guy trains as a ninja and then goes home and ends up having to protect his friend from this awful evil businessman who then hires another ninja to try and take him out. That's basically the plot. Um, yeah, as I said, if it's if you like that kind of thing, it's great. Like, it's it's over the top. It's 80s cheesy nonsense. It's spawned two sequels, which I've also seen this week, which I won't go into. I kind of um, have this but... image, Paul, of like... I know that we don't really do this now, like, in the modern world, but, like, you know when you went to the video store to pick out yeah. movies? Like, some of the movies that you've been reviewing recently, there'd be, like, a guy in the back, and you'd oh, go totally, there, and you'd yeah. be like, I like that kind of thing. Have you got yeah. any of that kind of thing? And then he'd yeah. hand you over, like, Enter the Ninja on, yeah. on VHS. Yeah. Or Revenge of the Ninja, which is a sequel. Now, that was just piss pause. So I'm not talking about that. Uh, no, you know, if the, you'll know, watch the trailer, you'll know if it's your kind of thing. If it is your kind of thing, you will absolutely love it. Um, and I just wanted to just quote one line of dialogue from it, if I may, guys. I want my black ninja and I want him now. That is genuinely a line of dialogue in the film. So any film that contains that level of dialogue is okay by me. And just before I, I sign off on Into the Ninja, I have to say the fight scenes are actually really quite good. Fight scenes in that Woody Allen film are rubbish. Yeah. But en- Enter the Ninja. Um, <laughs> check it out. I mean, check it out. It's a lot of fun. I've actually ordered a t shirt, so we'll leave it at that. Oh, so, damn. That's yeah, a big damn. recommendation. And Enter the Ninja t shirt is in the post. So that is, uh, yes. Paul T-shirt film, that's what that is. So, uh, Pete, what have we got up next? Well, so I talked about a collaboration, and that is this. Um, we've been really uh, anticipating and, and like sort of begging um, various distributors and stuff to put on uh, some kind of stre- streaming, uh, streaming? Screening of the film Raw from Julia um, DeCorno. De yeah, and no one did. I think it came out in March originally. It's, it's... Even with our mighty tens of listeners, we didn't have the sway yeah, to get it's it. It's creeped out on Blu-ray today as a HMV exclusive. So if you are looking for Raw on Blu-ray, guys, which I imagine that quite a few of you should, well, you certainly should be and probably will be, uh, you won't find it on Amazon, which I was looking for it for ages. Uh, it is a HMV exclusive on Blu-ray. So that's where you can get it. It's a not a deliberate plug for HMV, but a plug for HMV nonetheless, because that's where you can find this. So yeah, so we basically thought we'd cut down one of the popcorn movies, because this this would have been a feature review yeah. had we got to see it sooner, but we didn't. So, so yeah, set the scene. Available now, we'll review it now. Um, yeah, first of all, to mention, Julia DeCorno, if I'm, I'm getting the name right, is a uh, first-time director in terms of a feature-length film. Um, she's made short films 
in the past and that is astonishing in its own right mm. when we get into the, the film itself the tagline for Raw is what are you hungry for and it basically tells the story of a teenage girl older teenage girl who goes off to veterinary college so I'm guessing sort of 16 to 18 years old uh, goes off to veterinary college and falls into the first year period of hazing where um, all of the first years have to basically be like tormented for say like kind of like Freshers Week here but yeah. like a load less fun by the looks of things <laughs> uh, they get like horrendously hazed for a week and part of the hazing process comes towards the end of sort of culmination of these these trials that they go through is that all of the first year um, I forget what they call them like I want to say fresh meat but I don't know if that's actually the case uh, students have to line up and when they get to the front of the line they have to eat a piece of meat that I believe is like a rabbit's kidney yeah rabbit's kidney um, um, and it's kind of a rite of passage. Everybody does it. Now, we've already established at this point that this girl and her older sister, who goes to the same veterinary college but has obviously gone through these things in the past, they are, uh, at least we believe, vegetarian. Yes. <laughs> so when she gets to her place in the line where she's going to take the rabbit's kidney, she says, well, I'm not going to eat it. I'm a vegetarian. So's my sister. Ask her. The sister comes over, says, well, I just did it. Don't be a pussy. Go ahead. Eat the kidney. She doesn't want it. She's basically force-fed. And from that point, things start to unravel right, Paul? They do, yes. And we will say no more about the plot than that, because it, it would... We might say a little um, bit more Well, yeah, we're probably... Get, yeah, yeah. I but mean, we'll try and be good. We're going to have to say something more about the plot than that, I suppose, yes. Um, yeah, I, I really like this. You know, as you know, I'm, I'm a big horror film fan. Um, I, I didn't realise this was her first her first time feature, um, and is, as you say, an astonishing accompaniment that is her first time feature. I think it... It works on it works for me on both levels. It's kind of like a coming of age sexual awakening uh, drama, which is great that there's more women working in horror now because it's definitely kind of told from a female perspective, which is great. And there should be more women working in horror, and it's good that there are. Um, but yes, yeah, so as I said, it works both as a coming of age drama as an as and as an atmospheric and quite frankly, in places, very disturbing horror film. Oh, very, very disturbing in places, yeah. I mean, there are scenes in this that you will not forget. I won't spoil what they are, but I want to mention one, which is to do with hair removal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it threw... It's not the same sequence, but it threw my mind back to that sequence in Cabin Fever with leg shaving. It's kind of, yes. If I, you remember what I'm talking about, and I, and I yeah. think you might. Yeah, I mean, like Paul mentioned, I mean, there are multiple levels at work here. Like you say, sort of coming of age and also sort of straight horror. But like the thematic richness of this film, I think, is what sort of stuck with me. Mm. This this very idea that like through consuming f- a flesh, the relationship to the flesh is utterly transformed. I think that's saying enough yeah. without saying too much, yeah. right? Well, I think everyone's aware it's a French cannibal film. If, you, if you're aware of Raw's out there, you, you know, it's... Yeah, Yeah, you've seen bits and pieces. Um, Yeah, and just the the way in which I think the director sort of handles what could be just sort of shock tactic material with enough restraint to where it packs a punch, not only in a sort of visceral, raw horror sense, but also in a sort of intellectual sense, if that doesn't sound too too sort of pretentious. So, yeah, I, I really, really recommend it as a thing that you have to see for yourself I think yeah. you have to have a strong stomach but you have to see it for yourself yeah you definitely have to have a strong stomach and a strong stomach not not just for, for gore but just a strong stomach in general because you know certainly yeah I, I, without, it's, it's difficult not to not to say too much but you know and as I said I agree with you and I think the performances in it are, are superb as well I think you, you do get the you do get the sense that this girl is trying to come to terms with A your womanhood and B what she actually is um, and there's certain moments this, the scene in the the scene that's filmed in the club and this kind of thing I think I thought it was fantastic I really 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 rated it and um, and alongside Okja Paul that we reviewed not too long ago watch those as a double bill and I'm not sure you're ever going to be eat any meat again <laughs> no no to be fair I'd say that's uh, yeah I would say that's fair um, right so that's that's Raw not as much to say about it as we thought because actually if we talked about it in detail we'd spoil the whole film so uh, go out and watch Raw without a doubt find it go to HMV and buy it tomorrow I'm um, sure it's going to come up again on the show to be honest man so yeah, yeah it's, it's just the start yes. of that discussion I expect um, so that brings us to uh, Jack your homework from last week was to watch my film of the year so far or is it now interesting mm. um, Personal Shopper yeah what did you so think? Personal Shopper um Going into it, I was a bit pessimistic. 
if that's the right word. Cheers, Jack. Is it because Paul recommended it? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Is it um, because it had no ninjas in it? Yeah, Did you expect to get a ninja from me? Really yeah. Some ninjas, a bit of horror, <laughs> gore. Um, because of the, I think because of the bizarre synopsis, mm. I was a little bit like, mm, does this make sense? Will it work? It's got Kristen Stewart in. A little bit like, hmm, don't particularly want to watch this film, but hey-ho. Um, I would say it was it was quite a mysterious film. Um, and it did take me a while to get into just because because of the synopsis yeah, I don't think you're alone because I, I mean I think I mentioned this before but like as soon as you say it involves a medium part of me and maybe that's my fault but part of me is like oh really like are we going to have to yeah, absolutely. indulge that territory so yeah I think you're not alone in yeah. feeling that way but overall I think really Kristen Stewart her performance in it was absolutely thorough like really good like and I've heard a lot of comments of people saying, "Oh, it's not going to be great because Kristen Stewart is." She's a terrific she's had all that actress, I think. Sort at this of point. all that backlash with all the films that she's done previously. Um, I would have to say, actually, I watched her in Into the Wild the other day, and I thought this is how she should be acting, mm. um, and obviously because of the Twilight saga and all that sort of jazz. Um, I wouldn't say it was my favourite film, but I did get into it as it went on, um, and it did have a sort of Hitchcock feel I think the director you could definitely take his influences from that so I thought that was quite good I enjoyed that um, overall it was an interesting film um, and I did enjoy some of the camera shots of her walking around the it house it looks fantastic it does yeah. it really did and I really can, enjoyed that can I ask you a direct question because you're, you're reviewing it now and I don't think we really talked about this a whole load before what was your feeling, your honest feeling, about the sequence on the train with the text conversation? Because this has got a lot of, of it has. people talking online, I think, about whether it works, whether it failed, whether it's indulgent. Like, what did you make of that sequence? This is like her getting mysterious text, yeah. maybe from beyond the grave, who from, knows? Yeah. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it worked. Mm. I didn't enjoy it. I thought it was, it was too modern in a sense. I think the whole sort of phones and stuff I don't really enjoy it when they come into movies it's difficult though isn't it because it's such a part of our actual it lives is, right? we're all on our phones all the time and yeah. to leave that out would almost be more egregious than to put it in but it's difficult to convey that on screen sometimes without yeah I think it's a difficult people. thing to do um, because you either have that thing where which I think Fincher does certainly does they certainly do it in House of Cards. I'm sure they've done it in films as well, where the text message comes up on the screen. And, and Jam Collett's error when we reviewed The Shallows. Yes. I, I thought that was great, but then I've heard people say it looked so like I didn't shit like that, and ruined the image. I did like this in Personal good. Shopper. So yeah, it's an interesting... We've gone from Personal Shopper to mobile phones. Yeah. No, it's, no, it's, it's a <laughs> Non-stop, point, yeah. that Liam Neeson film, they tried to put like funky text oh, on the screen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, People are trying. That's true, yeah. I think it was a solid film, and I totally understand why it got Paul's top film. Um, and I think I want I want to watch it for a second time just so I can feel it a bit more. So coming out, if we've said personal was really good and you like liked it enough, and we've said uh, or I've said I guess on the show that Clouds of Sils Maria by the same director is also really good, would you watch that film? Do you think? I think knowing I would. that it's by the same person. Yeah. I would actually. So interesting enough for you to engage with the director. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think more than partial success then there. Yeah, really. yeah. I think yeah. Job, job done. Good yes. work yeah. all round. Job done. Yes. Right. So, so next week um, we've got two options here because he did look he did look up blankly at the mention of cabin fever. So I don't know if he's seen cabin fever. Have you seen cabin fever? I haven't we're seen cabin, we're haven't seen that, cabin fever. We're so we're that. we've got two options, listeners. We've got two <laughs> options, and this comes down to you. Either you can set Jack homework that he will almost a hundred percent cert with hundred percent certainty say is interesting. Um, so either you can pick homework for him, or we will set him cabin fever to watch. So that is over to you at home. Or we will trap him in this room for days on end until he actually gets cabin fever and then shaves off the skin on his own legs. Oh. That's the third option. That would make a much darker okay. podcast than the one we currently put <laughs> out. Yeah. I, like the first, <laughs> I like the first one, man. Like, get get those tweets coming in, get messages coming in and tell Jack what he's got to watch. He's like 12 years old, so, you know, yeah. like, give him some I haven't seen many watch, films. Yeah. So. yeah. So, I mean, give him his due. He's allowed to see 18 certificate films, so we are allowed to, <laughs> to recommend 18s now. It's been enough time. Yeah, I think you have. But yeah, I like that idea. That interaction would be cool. If we don't get any responses, then we're all going to feel a bit miserable about it and just set in cabin fever by cabin default. Fever, yeah. But yeah, not the original. I don't, I don't new want to watch cabin um, fever. Yeah. So please <laughs> save him there, from that. Then. Okay, save, save him from being low Ross. Fair enough. <laughs>
Fair enough. Absolutely. Okay, well, so there we go then, listeners. Let us know, again, at Stranger Cinema, let us know what you want Jack to watch. And that brings us to the end of Popcorn Movies. Feature reviews. Here we are this week. Pete, you're very excited to be here, aren't you? As ever, I imagine. Yeah, it sounded yeah. sarcastic. I no, that wasn't, that wasn't meant to be sarcastic I'm at all. I do apologise, Pete. Uh, so... Two things I love, Paul. Films and the sound of my own voice. And I get to enjoy <laughs> both of them right here. So let's go. Good. Okay, what have we got first then, Pete? First, we have Atomic Blonde. We trailed it a little while ago because we were jazzed on the fact that this looked like, well, I think you described it as like Joan Wick. Joan Wick, yeah. Perhaps, which yeah. Uh, I think is a pretty... I can't be alone in describing it as Joan Wick, but... No, I've heard Jane Wick as well. People are trying to be a bit different. Um, But yeah, this is from director David Leach, who is best known as a stunt coordinator. I believe he's been Brad Pitt's stunt double at some point in the past and was also the co-director of the original John Wick. Interestingly enough, but he did assist with the direction. And also he is signed up to do Deadpool 2. Yeah, true. Um, I heard someone call that film uh, the first Deadpool film The End of Humanity the other day on a a rival podcast. But but yeah, that's a conversation for another day. So this one... um, as you've probably seen from the trailers, involves a kind of ass-kicking incarnation of a character from Charlize Theron who is uh, an agent sent to 1989 Berlin just prior to the fall of the Berlin Wall. She's sent to Berlin in 1989. There's no time travel involved. I just wanted to make that clear. Yes, there is no time travel, travel involved. This is not yes. uh, that kind of film. She's sent back in time to avenge... For, yeah. Uh, yeah, so just before the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, uh, she's sent into a situation that seems like a sort of powder keg that's going to blow up in her face from almost the moment that she steps off the plane. We're also introduced to uh, John Goodman's character and my Toby boy, Jones. thank you, yeah, Toby Jones, who are interrogating in a, a separate uh, piece of like later in the chronology are, are interrogating her character and trying to get information about what happened in Berlin. Yeah, here's a clip. I chose this life, and someday it's going to get me killed. Agent Gascoigne was killed last night. Did you know him? Enough to say hello. Find out who's hunting our operatives, and trust no one. David Persons, your content. Welcome to Berlin. I'm David. Don't shoot. I've I've got your shoe. This was never part of the plan. It was part of mine. I've lost the target. Someone set me up. Someone from the inside. Now this only ends one way. Right, so yeah, that gives you a little bit of a taster of what the film's like. Um, but what did we think? Um, I think this film was massively missold. I'm just going to throw that out there. Completely missold. Um, I think the way the trailer set it up, I think it was set. I think it's. I think on based on the success of John Wick, I think it was set up, set up and sold as basically Joan or Jane Wick or however you want to look at it. Mm. Um, and Charlie Theron is kind of basically a female, a female version of the John Wick character. And I kind of thought that maybe in the midst of the film we might get like John Wick walk through or that something like that might happen. Sure. Um, the reason I say the film, the reason I say I think it's missold is because that is absolutely not the film that we get. I think. Well, it's all part of the film that we get, but certainly the not film, the whole. But yeah. I think this this film is is a lot darker in tone than I expected, and in, in, in place is a lot more serious and actually I think has got a lot more in common with something like Jason Bourne um, or even even maybe um, like French Connection or that kind of thing like more or at points it aspires to be like Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy yeah, doesn't it yeah exactly I think it's a lot more that kind of yeah. like Jean Le Carré um, spy thriller but maybe not at the level of some of the things that it might be imitating. Maybe I'm showing my hand too early, but yeah, you know, carry on. No, no, I don't, I don't think you're showing your hand too early at all. I think it's, I think it's entirely relevant. And I think, it, you know, um, as that kind of film, it, it just about works. Um, the, the strengths of the film are certainly the action, as you can, as you can probably see in the trailer. Um, the fight scene, there is one fight scene, uh, and we won't ruin which one it is, but is certainly up there with the best of the genre um, I was, we were saying probably best of the year I'd say up there with the best of the genre yeah. it's, it's absolutely superb yeah you're, you're so right Paul and like let's not undersell this please because I, I said to you early on like I've been listening to a lot of people not just talking about this film but films in general where I think like critics some or like reviewers have this habit of sort of ambling through a review and, and making everything sound a, a lot blander than it needs to and like that fight sequence is so good like no matter what you think of the rest of the film 
to me, if we did like a, a whole range of awards at the end of the year, best fight scene of the year is going to have to go something, even get close oh, it's, to it's that sequence yeah. in Atomic The, the fight scene is absolutely magnificent. Phenomenal I mean, from, from all sides, and not least from this Charlie's Theron sort of physicality that she I thought, makes. I, ju- I just thought well. that maybe at some point we'd go, oh, but it's, you might get tired of people using fancy tracking shots. I'll never get tired of people using tracking shots if they use them this well. Like, it is fantastic. Um, and uh, as you said, Charlie's Theron, I think is superb in this. It makes you she, think of like the Hammer sequence in Old Boy or something. Like it that, is. It's it, up right? there with those sequences. Yeah, Charlie's Theron is superb in this. She, apps, I mean, I, I don't think there is any point that needs to be proved about Charlie's Theron being able to kick ass after certainly after Mad Max. Um, she's great in it. Um, she, it's a very stylish film. Her wardrobe is on point throughout. I have to, have to throw that note in there. Um, and yeah, well, it's well, fun. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, that man as well? Like, um, what she's wearing a lot of the time is Boy London. Did you notice this? Boy London is the brand that's like prominent yeah. in this film. And doing a bit of research about that coming out of the, the screening. Well, look at you doing but, some research. Yeah, 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 yeah I tried. <laughs> uh, Boy London has caught a lot of controversy because they use the um, symbol that was used in the Third Reich of the like eagle. Uh, okay. um, and and all these kinds of stars like uh, I don't know Rihanna was the one that was reeled off uh, I think most prominently maybe haven't really noticed that connection or made that connection and then have taken fire for for wearing that stuff but then it seemed like a kind of deliberately provocative, controversial yeah. provocative choice in okay. a film like this because yeah. I think to touch on some of the stuff you were saying Paul like this is a film that um, announces itself very very loudly all over the kind of stylistic choices early on and mostly throughout like I felt that some of the like text on screen stuff that we get early on called to mind even like Suicide Squad you know when you're just like yeah and like this stylized is... text popping up and introducing you know where, where we are and the sequence it even looked like um you know that you know that video game is it called Homefront it looked a bit like that. Yeah, yeah. Like it's kind of like, oh, we're just mining this historical territory because it's kind of like kitschy cool. This is a point that I wanted to bring up on the show with you, Paul. Was there actually any point this being in 1989, pre-Berlin Wall, for Berlin? Like, what, really? No, like, other than the fact so, that no. the source material was set there, this character, as you were saying, like you thought it would be more like a sort of John Wick film, I thought the character was like cool and interesting. But I don't understand why they'd sort of plastered this kind of, I don't know, fairly um, poorly sort of imitative version of, of 80s kitsch all over the place. And, and sort of obviously I think, felt so no, pleased I think with themselves probably it's that. just so they can use the soundtrack they used, which was great. Um, and you know the sound, it was the, great but then it was like so it's obvious. quite a cliche it's a, it's a very it's a great but very cliched 80s soundtrack um I, yeah i do i do see your point on that one uh, and i think the other you know as much as as much as i enjoy the action scenes and i will say that you, you probably will come out of this having enjoyed it but mother i did have quite another quite big gripe with it to be honest and that's that the choppy narrative just proves to be very distracting it just you know, do you know what i mean by that pete when i say that choppy narrative so it just it, it, it just jumps around the place it's just like they're an interview you do a flashback they're interviewing and do a flashback they're interviewing and do a flashback it's, it's almost style over substance really it's trying well, too what, hard to be cool that's what i was saying too man um, like it, yeah it seems like it's they're trying too hard yeah. at times where this could be a lot more efficient and concise the film runs again like two hours right i think yeah two hours I, think it's I feel hours. like yeah. it was longer than yeah. it needed to be again like another example of that I also wanted to mention and it's not to sort of moan about things too much but like I feel like a little bit differently to you about his performance in Split but I thought James McAvoy was almost unbearable in this film like I think that James McAvoy is the sort of embodiment of a guy or, uh, he sort of embodies the phrase charm will get you a long way in this world he's an incredibly charming screen presence but when he takes these kind of character roles he chews scenery all over the place. He sort of gurns at the camera half the time, and I find him a very difficult person to sort of sit through two hours worth. I of found him. I found his certainly his character in this to be very unlikable and not not engaging in the slightest. Which didn't. I mean, he's not supposed to be, you know, like a squeaky clean hero character. But I just found him to be quite irritating. Um, yeah, I think overall for me it was fun, but I just think it could have been much better if it either tightened up the story or gone for full bore action mayhem that's where I stand with absolutely it. did you uh, last question here Paul did you get the gag like my gag of the film there weren't that many things to make you laugh in this they really as, as we've said um, really cool fight scenes basically but uh, the gag about sampling 
best gag in the film. Just towards the end, they cut away from the coverage of the Berlin Wall and say, next, a piece about sampling. Is it just copying or is it a form of flattery? And I thought, as far as like, you know, uh, sly winking sort of um, self-referential stuff, that that was pretty funny. And it made me laugh and no one really laughed around me and I felt a little bit like a nerd. But um, (laughs) but yeah, overall, fight sequence of the year, but I'm with you, Paul. I think that the style over substance issue kind of... um, was expect, I was expecting more. I said either one or the other would have been good. Don't, don't get us wrong, though. Yeah. Let's see more Charlie's there on kicking people in the face. Yes, I'm agreed. All for that. Agreed. Right up next, then um, after this will be our review of Ghost Story or a Ghost Story. Pete, bring us up to speed with a ghost story. This is uh, a very wow. intriguing premise, so I think we were lucky to get this in Cheltenham. So. Have you um, seen this, Jack? Before we start talking about it, have you seen it? I have not seen okay. it yet. All right, so we'll keep that in mind, and that's the, the sort of proxy for the listener I don't as think well. many people are going to get to see this because it's got a very limited release, unfortunately. So, so a ghost story, um, in essence, is the story of the bereavement um, of a character played by Rooney Mara, um, who reunites with Casey Affleck that she was co-star with in Ain't Them Body Saints which was the director David Lowry's first feature I believe um, from about four or five years back um, which I thought was pretty stylish but not entirely convincing but they're back together here the simple setup is that um, it's fairly soon in the film when it's not I mean this has to be said really doesn't it yes. about we, we all know that this film about bereavement is advertised as such so the Casey Affleck uh, character passes away he's in the morgue it seems like that's the end of his story but then he returns to the scene um, and the house where he lived with his partner uh, wife in fact played by Rooney Mara in a sheet as a ghost with just two eye holes for animation of his facial features I suppose as they formerly were but he doesn't interact with his former partner he just watches time passed and he watches that character try to deal with the loss of him right his loss from from her life and the way that she's feeling with that here is a clip when i was little and we used to move all the time i'd write these notes and i would fold them up really small and i would hide them what is it you like about this house so much history we're still reading this book we're still singing a song. Kids remember their parents and their grandparents. I wanted to remember so that if I ever wanted to go back, there'd be a piece of me there waiting. So yeah, that gives you again gives you a little bit of a taste of, of, of the tone of the film. Um, I had no idea what to expect from going into this, Pete. I have to say, not not a clue. I hadn't. I'd managed to even avoid a trailer, which is which is rare for me. Not deliberately avoid a trailer, but just completely did, didn't know anything. I would say that's probably the the best way to go into this mm-hmm. um, despite the fact we've just given you a bit of a heads up of what it's about but we are talking about the film so we need to do that um, yeah what what a film um, I, it's, where, do, where do we where do we start I, with okay. this film I think you, you're very eager to, yeah. to, to talk about I think this, where so I we think, have uh, to start Paul is the first thing that you'll notice if you do get to go to a screening of this film or, or you see it later you know at home which is that the framing of the film is non-standard um, it's almost it was sort of like four three ratio, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it's kind of like a home cinema, like the old super, not super eight. Yeah, I suppose super eight film or yeah. sixteen mil. Kind and of to me, it even felt like a not entirely accidental. In fact, probably quite deliberate choice that the corners of the frame are rounded, which to, again, just my interpretation, brings to mind Instagram. And I don't think that was maybe accidental. Uh, who knows? And like old film footage, as you say, is, is clearly an influence yeah. as well. But I think David Lowry, it, the director is 36 years of age, I believe, and a bit younger when he made the film. I think that there's something there, which maybe we'll get into uh, as, okay. we, as we go through. Um, yeah, so that's the first thing. The second thing you'll notice is this film is incredibly quiet. I don't remember going to the cinema and the film be, like. I had a snack like I feel terrible as like a hypocrite because oh, I noticed I hate you people. snacking I, I noticed hate you snacking Mr Wall don't you worry about that uh, and I was quite hungry and I was trying to eat the snack and I thought I can't do it and I have to pick my moments and the moments aren't coming because it's so quiet obviously we're dealing with a very serious and sensitive subject so usually I wouldn't be munching away on something but more than you would imagine you need to keep quiet when you go to watch mm. this thing uh 
Yeah, I mean, start with the performances, I, I suppose, because we've got two key performances, one of whose is, is almost entirely under a sheet, and most of which he actually performed himself, that being Casey Affleck in a yes. bed sheet. Um, well, it's, <laughs> yeah, Casey Affleck in a bed sheet. It's kind of says it all, really. Um, so Casey Affleck in a bed sheet, it's... He, he's, Some he have said it's his best sheet, performance yeah. in years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it does it does well in uh, under a bedsheet. I think I think it's more to the credit of the filmmaker though that makes his performance great because for mm. for a bedsheet just to convey that much emotion and there are there are scenes in this film, listeners, where you just get long static shots of Casey Affleck standing in a bedsheet in an empty house, and in the wrong hands that could be and I know what people are thinking in the wrong hands that could be a load of pretentious wank like don't get me wrong oh and some people definitely like, think that some this people is. certainly think they are and fine you're missing out but they just work it just works so well the way that the way the film manages to convey so much emotion just through two eye holes in a white sheet is nothing short of staggering I I, I loved it and and Rooney Mara is an actress that I quite rate, and I think she's she's very well suited to this. She's very well suited to this kind of role. I think I don't think it's a performance that necessarily stretched her particularly, but I thought she was very good. I think the performance is all about is all about the ghost. I, I would say. Um, well, I, I, I don't know if I'd go that far. I think you're talking about Rooney Mara's performance in and the sequence that has got oh, no, again, a yeah, lot yeah. of chat yeah. has been this sequence in which. Um, she, uh, yeah, again, I won't reveal everything, but she returns home. Her mother has left for a sort of care package and it, it is a pie. And she initially sort of ignores this pie and then goes about eating the pie for, in real time, well, like five minutes. I meant or... to time, I was I was, concerned, I was waiting for people to walk out of the cinema in that scene as well. Yeah. Some mumbling did start towards the end of it. No, the way, the reason I say it didn't issue stretcher is because I think she's very good anyway. So I'm not going to, I'm not saying she's bad. That pie eating scene was. Um, again, fantastic! Like it is, I'd say a good five minutes of just her eating a whole pie. Yeah, and from, and, and but again, it it's, it commands. It just drags you in. You want to watch it. It's, it's and and why does it though? Because I think it it's the for me the sort of corner term where this film went from being this sort of um, curiosity, this like interesting curiosity, to a thing that really started to like get it fingers around my that heart. scene. That scene is devastating. I yeah. mean, because Absolutely the character in that scene is clearly trying to just fill a hole that you know I'm sure many people listening could relate to that hole whether it's the hole of, of a, a lost uh, relationship with a friend with a partner a bereavement whatever it however it a might manifest Blu-ray for example a, <laughs> yeah a rare arrow <laughs> Blu-ray disc I mean could be anything that hole inside that you just can't fill and she's trying to fill it with whatever she has available just to sort of obliterate that feeling so yeah it was an incredibly smart choice I think to, to include that that sequence even at that length but then and then it starts going metaphysical it starts playing around with is there more than one ghost what's going on and it, it really starts to play with your perceptions and then they've got they've got that fantastic shot towards the end oh it's I'm, I'm getting excited now because it's just visually it's oh it's it's great I'm, try, I'm trying not to spoil where it goes and, um, and but it goes in it goes in a direction you don't expect and it does it very very well yeah and it's this film isn't it Paul about well we said about bereavement but it's sort of about letting go and then also the inability to let go yeah from more than one direction I should say in, in this thing again being a little bit cryptic about about the film and it's the kind of film that, like, people will... Your average Joe... I'm going to sound really offensive, but, like, your average Joe kind of um, off the street is going to come out of this, some of them, and be like, well, that was a load of old shit, wasn't it? Like, you know, there was no ghosts, really, and it was just, like, stupid, and there's no haunting, it was a horror film, and I want my money back, or whatever, right? This is a film clearly about a ghost. It's not just Casey Affleck's ghost as represented as a sort of metaphor on screen. It's about the ghost that's going to live inside of you after you've seen this film because it is going to haunt you. The ideas that the film plays with aren't ideas that you forget as you walk out of the cinema. I think no. that's fair to say, no, right? Absolutely. I don't think it's a film you it's a film that will stay with you long after you walk the, out of the cinema. I do, is, I really want to watch it again. I mean like the bedsheet behind Rooney Mara when she's lying down listening to this track composed yeah. by her deceased partner in the film. Like this thing will just creep up on you in your date like I, since I, I, keep I saw trying it. To, I, I keep trying to review it on Letterboxd and I, I keep as far as I can go is haunting 
and there's, there's no there's no pun intended at all it is a haunting haunting film and there's there's a thing and I think you've touched on it Paul and I'm not going to give anything away I promise but there's a thing that happens visually towards the end of the film yes. that I think you sort of were mentioning that like we've talked a bit about sort of gut punching films and films that really like kick in with your, your, your emotional response system that visual metaphor alone like kind of broke me a little bit so yeah I just this film is going to be way up on the the best films of the year as far as I'm concerned at the end of the year and, and again we, we don't want to be too vague because we're kind of vague about Raw but we sort of have to be you have to see it for yourself yes so seek it out if you do if you can find it somewhere find it this week because it's not going to be around for long hopefully it means it'll be on home release fairly oh, quickly oh we but... haven't mentioned one thing and we have to mention it about this f- film there's a sequence in it we said it's quiet quiet the soundtrack's really interesting yeah. it's about bereavement there's a sequence of a lot of talking isn't there Paul yes what did you make of that sequence that for me is the only misstep the film makes see because I'm I, I disagree and maybe we'll come back to this later on I think a lot of people online share your view or a lot of people I've sort of heard talk about the film share your view but to me, it it's, felt. For me, it feels like that that scene, and only that scene, feels like pretentious twaddle. Yeah, but it's supposed to, to be. But it's supposed yes. to be because we've all been to to events like that event where that kind of person says that kind of thing. To me, it rung true. It rung mm. true as the kind of thing that might have occurred in that space. Also, sorry, I said that was the last thing. There is one more. <laughs> the film has been accused, or David Lowry, as the director, has been accused of, of sort of implicit racism. Um, where do, what? do you, have you heard about this? What? How? Uh, because of the fact that it is the Hispanic family who is um, sort of bedeviled by the ghost um, most sort of vigorously and violently, and none of the other people within the film um, as directly, there have been quite strong and concerted accusations of, of sort of racism I'm calling on, on his that, part. To be honest. The only reason that the, the, no, the, no, I'm not having that at all. The family would have probably stayed there for longer than anyone else, so therefore the ghost is going to be more likely to be annoyed. And with they're, the next than fam- they're the yeah. next family. Who, who in that, yeah. I mean, there's a whole conversation to be had here. So, if you have strong views either way, you agree or disagree with us, get at us again at Stranger Cinema as the Twitter address because there's a lot to talk about with both Raw and this, and yeah. Atomic Blonde to some extent, but particularly yeah. these two. More so with these two films, definitely. Um, and that pretty much brings us to the end of the show. Um, I just wanted to say that we did say last week we, we were going to do Detroit this week, but we saw an unlimited screening. And what we would prefer to do is review, get the film reviews up in the week that they're released so you guys can see them as well. Um, um, I know other places get reviews out as soon as they possibly can. We're going to do it that way. So Detroit, will, we will still be reviewing Detroit. We have seen it, um, but it will be in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, next week, we'll certainly be back with The Dark Tower. And we haven't quite decided on the other feature of you yet, but there's enough coming out to uh, there's enough coming out certainly to to give us two films. To talk yeah, and about if we haven't got enough so. to talk about, Paul, I just want to talk about a ghost story some more. Yeah, so. which would be fine because I might try and see it again in fairness. Yeah, so, I um, will. I yeah, will. so um, yes, so certainly give us your comments. Remember to set Jack his homework. Um, Twitter at Stranger Cinema. Check us out on Instagram at Strangers in a Cinema. Um, and that's it from myself, Paul, and me, Pete, and me, Jack. Goodbye. I could sleep, I could sleep, I could sleep, I could sleep. When I lived alone, is there a ghost in my house? I could sleep, I could sleep.